Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, and I'm the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something that I think is really important. In this sermon, I'm preaching on Jesus appearing to someone after he died and came back to life, and how that appearance changed the person's life forever. While I hope that all of my sermons are impactful, I think that this one can be particularly valuable because it shows how belief in Jesus his death and resurrection can change lives. It can bring peace from our inner struggles, reconciliation with our enemies, forgiveness from our guilt, purpose that goes beyond our circumstances and our lives, and life that goes beyond death. It brings hope to the hopeless, forgiveness to the guilty, and worship to the doubter. It's a big deal. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Can you think of someone that needs what belief in Jesus, his death and resurrection has to offer and share it with them? I know that that is kind of a big request, but belief in Jesus changed my life in such a wonderful and profound way, and I want others to have that same experience. I hope you're the same. I think, or at least hope, that this sermon can be used by God to make that happen, so please share it with someone. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I also hope it will be used by God to change the life of someone you know. How's your last couple years been? Yeah, right? Um, pretty bad, right? Like, I mean, I'll just tell you, mine's been difficult for sure. It's been very, 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 very hard. And I mean, you know, if you're new here, you don't know this, but I spent like my entire adult life working on building this church and then uh, COVID hit and, and it seems like I've just erased 10 years, just gone. And And not only like, did those years kind of feel like they got erased all of a sudden? Uh, on top of that, like I made a lot of decisions and had to make with our elders at this church, decisions that made people la- mad and even people in, in my family that just disagreed with me and uh, and that was hard, right? And uh, topping it all off, we're coming out of that and uh, now I live with my parents again uh, with my family <laughs> and so... Uh, Things are going really badly in the harms, uh, the harms house these last couple of years. And so um, it's been very, very difficult. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe you've had a great couple of years, and thumbs up to you, losers. Um, but uh, uh, maybe you've had a great couple of years. But, uh, but, but we all know that there are times in life that are just, that make life sad and difficult. In fact, I heard recently I don't remember who it was, but somebody on a podcast, well-known Christian author, but he, he said he just kind of uh, anecdotally has figured out that every seven years, life throws us a major tragedy. And I thought, really? And then I thought about my life, and I was like, oh, yeah, it does. Like, about every seven years, not like year seven, and you got an alarm clock, and like tragedy strikes, but about every seven years, it seems like uh, you deal with something that's very, very difficult, and it, it makes life hard. And uh, overshadowing, you know, all of the difficult parts of life is that, and this is, I'm sorry to be so depressing on Easter, but I'm going to be for a little bit. It has a happy ending, I promise. But uh, it's just the fact that in all of it, we're going to die. And, and most of the time when we face tragedy, unless it's a tragedy centered around death, right, like we can, we can forget about that part and just pretend that things are okay. But in the last couple of years, 
death counts have been all around us. I think I said this exact same thing last Easter. Uh, like we just, like we literally had a, a, you know, a box that told us how many people had died in our area, in our nation, and around the world. And so like, not only is it, you know, like life can be really hard, but then the finality of that kind of looms over all of it. And as I thought about that this week, I had kind of that written down here on my sermon. I thought about how we all realize a little bit that life is like those movies, and I'm going to give you some examples in a second, those movies that are depressing and have a bad ending. Depressing and have a bad ending. That's kind of like life because, you know, I, like, I love La La Land. I'm a La La Land guy. Like happy movie, sad, hopefully you've seen it, sad ending, right? And hopefully you've seen all of these. But, but let me give you some examples. And I haven't even seen all of these. I've just either heard about them or whatever. But like, uh, I don't know if you can see or you know this one, but The Mist, I don't think I've ever seen this one. But somebody told me basically they're trying to like escape from a giant monster in the mist who's taking people and so the whole time, that's the storyline, that's what's happening, people have gone, 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 and then the main character dies, and then the mist clears. Like, who does that? Like, who wrote that? You sick human that wrote that, or uh, like, The Grey, have you ever seen this? It's like Liam Neeson just fighting wolves for an hour and a half, and then dead, or maybe not, we're not sure, actually, if you stayed through the credits. Uh, or how about, did you see Whiplash? Here's an example of a good movie with that idea. This is a guy, bad childhood, trying to live up to his dad's expectation. He's a drummer. Drummer teacher yells and screams and cusses at him for an hour and a half. And then he kind of gets kicked out of the program and gets revenge. Like, I mean, that's basically it. Into the wild, like, you know, this story, guy goes into the wild. Could have guessed that, right? Guy goes into the wild, dies. Um, And then the worst one... uh, uh, he happened to keep a journal. That's the only reason we know about it. But uh, this one, my goodness, I saw this on a plane and not like, I don't know, not the movie I wanted on a plane. I mean, apparently people think it's a great movie. I think it was nominated for an Oscar uh, and maybe this guy for best actor. Uh, but it's, I mean, he accidentally killed his kids in a fire and then it ends. So that's like the whole movie. Like he's just depressed because of that. And then you find out why and credits like, oh, man, I'm so happy now. Like, I should have watched a Disney movie, right? Like, I mean, it is absolutely awful. I remember watching this scary movie once with my sister, and uh, it's just like a bad movie. Like, we weren't even, we were kind of on edge, you know, that feeling when you're watching a scary movie. But it was like one of those scary movies, my least favorite kind of scary movie, where there's no character development, and you're just like, I actually don't care if they die. I mean, like, like I don't know these people. They don't seem particularly likable. Like, I know that it's not real. Like, we're good, right? Like, anyway, and, and it goes through the whole movie. And then it's like a weird ending where hands come up, like, I think from hell, maybe? And I remember saying out loud to my sister, don't be the end. And then the credits rolled, and it was the end. And I think what we all know, we don't like to think about it, We don't like to think about it, but I think we all know that life's a little bit like that. It's like, it has ebbs and flows, and there's some happy moments, right? Like, we have some la-la land moments, but everything is overshadowed by the difficult stuff all the time. Even when life is good, we still stress about, you know, whatever, and when life seems perfect for people, they always want to make it better. And, And then we just know that while we don't want the credits to roll ever, probably, ultimately, they will. We are burdened by regret. We're burdened by a sense that our lives don't matter. We're burdened by a sense that we aren't good enough. We're burdened by a sense that 
we will die, even if we were doing it all perfectly and it was all wonderful. It's not going to last. And I think, I think, well, all that bummer, just came here to listen about sad movies with sad endings. I think that, that all of that, what I've said, is what makes Easter so important. And we actually see that in the story of Jesus' resurrection that I want to look at today. It's in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And, and I think we see this, it's like, it's like this moment where the people thought that the credits had rolled, but all of a sudden, maybe not. There's like uh, uh, just this glimmer of hope in this moment, and, and that's what I want to look at today, because I think for you, no matter how bad the script of your life has been, Jesus can absolutely change the narrative. The resurrection of Jesus can change the narrative. So let me read it to you, verses 1 and 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Now, this event happens around dawn. We know that because there's four accounts of this story, the resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. So we know it happens around dawn, but John uses this this different phrase, while it was still dark. It's a fascinating line because in John, often time and temperature are really statements that are symbolic of theology that he's trying to teach. You can see this in another way with light and dark through the book of John. Light and dark are quite straightforward. They are statements about morality and evil and life and death and all of these things. And so here, he could have just said it was dawn. He could have told us the time, but he says, while it was still dark, while it was still dark. And I think it's a sign that to them, they felt like the curtain had dropped and the house lights had gone down and it was over. Like, I mean, they, they were still in darkness at this moment. And when I say they, let me tell you who. It's the people that have loved Jesus, that have hung out with Jesus, that are friends with Jesus, that have that have been around Jesus and followed him for three years, that have done ministry with Jesus. These are the people that loved him and liked him the most. They stuck by him even when the crowds, the masses, went away from him. They stuck by him. But at the end, at the end, and we're going to talk about this with one man specifically, in the end, they hadn't really been there for him. And so it seems that this word darkness is meant to remind us of, of life if Jesus had never risen again, if Jesus had not come back from the dead, we would be stuck in the perpetual state of knowing that the credits will roll and there will be, there will be no, no, no thing after that. So Mary Magdalene, she's coming and um, we're going to talk more about Mary next week. I'll just kind of just say, and I'll, I'll, I'll hit on this in a stronger way next week, but it is amazing that in the first century is this Jewish author tells this story. He tells us that a woman went first, and it does say something about how God values women, and not only women, but all who are disenfranchised or disrespected in their society because women were in first century Jewish circles. And so we'll talk more about that next week because she gets a longer story than what we read here, but I want to talk about Peter. I want to talk about Peter, who she goes to and tells that the body is missing from the tomb. Peter was a guy named Simon. He was married. He was a fisherman. And 
Uh, He's brought to Jesus by his brother one day, like, hey, we may have found the Messiah, or in other words, the one who we believe will come to set things right for for people. And so Jesus becomes a follower, or Peter becomes a follower of Jesus, and he has incredible, incredible experiences with him. I mean, uh, at the top of that list for me is that Peter, right next to Jesus, he walks on water. I don't know that you can have a more strong religious experience than walking on water, right? And so he gets to do that. He sees other miracles. He hears the teachings. He witnesses the transfiguration. That's the other moments I put out there where Jesus all of a sudden glows and, and all of a sudden his humanity is peeled back and, and he sees the divine Jesus. We believe that as Christians that Jesus is God and man and, and the, the, the humanity side puts goes into the background and there is the glorious Christ. He gets to witness that. He's the first one to recognize or at least say out loud that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It seems that he has found meaning for his life. Like meeting Jesus made the story, it made the film that was Peter's life better. It made it good. But then Jesus was arrested. And as Jesus is arrested, he's on trial, Peter denies three times even knowing him. I mean, think about all that I've said, right? It's easy to take that, just that little thing in a vacuum and be like, yeah, he denied him, no big deal. But I mean, he's followed him around for three years. He's witnessed all of this stuff. He loves him. He's totally devoted to him. Like, he's totally devoted to him. And then he's like, I don't even know the guy. To the point where he's like calling down curses on himself just to like prove, like I swear, strike me dead if I actually knew him. I did not know this man. Then he weeps bitterly. The credits roll for Peter, right? Like it feels like the end to him. Like, wow, that was cool while it lasted. What a story arc, right? Like I found a little bit of meaning. Things seemed okay. It seemed like, you know, I found a little bit of purpose in life. But when Jesus died, All of that was erased, it seemed. And then Mary Magdalene runs up to him and says, the body is missing. She thinks it's been stolen. So she doesn't say, like, Jesus is risen from the dead. It's simply, hey, they've taken the body away. And Peter's response is what I think all of us should be like. All of us should have the same response as Peter if we, if we recognize it all. If we've had a hard few years, if we've had a hard life, if we see the meaninglessness of life, if we recognize that, that there's a finality to life, then we should be like Peter in the story. Listen to what happens in verses three through seven. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the Other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the stripes of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Just first a quick note about this other disciple. Uh, It doesn't tell us who he is here, but but there's this foot race, which... To me, is such a, it's a, I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, but it's like such a beautiful picture of, of hope. 
I mean, and, and like, I mean, the credits had rolled, but they're like, maybe there's a chance here, but they start running and it's a foot race. And this disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he's identified, he gets there first and instead of going right in, he bends over to look at the strips of linen. Now, what's interesting about this, there's multiple things that are interesting, but I want to point your attention to one. Apparently, I don't know how you get into this business, but apparently at the time that Jesus lived on earth, robbing graves was a big thing. A lot of people did it. To the point, to the point, I cannot believe this ever became such a big problem, but to the point where the emperor had actually issued the decree that, that it was punishable by death to not only rob a grave, but to either mess with the body or mess with the tomb. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do graffiti, you couldn't tag a grave without being killed. That's how big of a problem grave, grave robbing was at the time. And so what seems to happen here as part of this story is that this other disciple gets there first and it gives us this detail about how he sees the strips of linen lying there. And it almost appears that he's examining to see whether the body could have been stolen. And you'll notice that other note. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. We don't exactly know what that looks like. It seems like Jesus maybe just came out of there. He didn't like leave in the grave clothes. That wasn't important to the story. Lazarus, this guy that Jesus brought back from the dead just a few chapters earlier in the book of John, he comes out wearing all the grave clothes. Like that could have happened, but it appears here what the, the disciples recognize, what John is trying to say to us is that this was no robbery. This body was not stolen because there was something unnatural about the linen. And in fact, one of the most important things is that the linen was still there because it was expensive. You didn't go down a Ross dress for less and buy clothes back then, right? Like you needed fabric to make clothes. And so they come in and they recognize that that's still there. And maybe all of the spices that Jesus was buried in, which I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago or Good Friday or someday, it's all running together. But I mentioned that it was like enough to bury a king And so they see that this tomb has not been disturbed as though somebody was coming looking to make a profit on the dead. But Peter, he has no hesitation. He runs directly into the tomb. I just want to point out that in basically no scenario am I ever going to run into a tomb. Like, that's just like, like there is no way that I ever want a part of that. Like, I mean, I just, even if it was a totally empty tomb, somebody said, this is a brand new tomb. Like, nobody's ever been here. Even if I was at a morgue and they were selling me a tomb and they said, just go right in, I'd be like, probably not. You go in first. Like, I'm going to make sure nobody shuts the door behind me. You ever see that movie Double Jeopardy, speaking of movies? She gets locked in the tomb. No, no. Like, not, not doing it. But Peter, just, he's just in. He just goes in. And I'm not sure there's a better picture in all of Scripture of hope than this. He's not sure. He doesn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, we'll see in a minute that at this point, he doesn't come to believe that yet. The other disciple does. But he, he sure has hope that the ending that he thought was the ending is actually not the ending. I mean, the curtain had gone down. 
the credits had rolled, and all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute. Are you telling me there's a chance that this isn't the end of my story? And he runs right into that tomb without ever thinking, without stopping to think about what he might see, about like how gross it was going to be after a few days, about what it would smell like. He just runs right in. And I just want to say that I think this moment should give you hope as well. And I think that many would do well to run to Jesus to at least run to examining whether or not this story might be true. Because if it is true that Jesus rose from the grave, then we can have peace from our inner struggles and reconciliation with our enemies and forgiveness for our sin and purpose that goes beyond our circumstances and even, I would say, beyond our life completely. And we can have life that goes beyond death. Like, this doesn't have to be the end. We, we can find a better ending in the resurrection of Jesus. I think all of us need these things, and, and the reality is, I mean, this is the reality. There is no other hope than that tomb being empty, and I think Jesus, Peter understood that. That'll come out in more in just a minute, but John 10, 8 through 10, the story continues. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. The disciple who was unnamed believed. Now, believed is a loaded word in the book of John. Believed is a word that does not mean that he just mentally thought this thing to be true, that Jesus rose from the dead. To believe is, is to cast your entire life upon something in the book of John, to make it uh, the thing that you put your hope and your trust in, specifically for a better ending, for salvation. Uh, I, I think that, man, I've, I've heard this illustration from pastors in the past, and before I had kids, it made no sense, but but when you look at your children and you see the way they trust you, you start to get a glimmer of what believe means in the Bible. Like, like my kids will, like hardly without even me looking, they'll be up on top of a play structure and they'll just hurl themselves down and expect that I will catch them. Like there is no, there is no thought, there is no questioning, there's no gauging whether daddy's been working out lately, which I haven't, you know, like there's no, there's none of that. It's just thrust themselves off of the highest peak that they can get to and expect that I will catch them. And, and belief in the book of John is, is that, that we thrust our lives upon Jesus and frankly the work that he did upon the cross and we expect that he is going to save us, that he is going to create a better ending. That's how it's used in John three sixteen, the very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to say something great about everlasting life in the book of John. When you think of that, you may think about something that starts after you die, but that's not at all 
what the book of John describes. That's not at all what the New Testament describes about life in Christ. It describes eternal life as something that begins now and lasts forever. It's a life, in the words of Jesus, that is abundant, a life that is driven by peace and hope and reconciliation and forgiveness and love, all of these things that I've already talked about. In the book of Romans, the author of that book, called his name's Paul, he describes like these two spheres of life, one in Adam, who was the first man ever born, that describes the life that is that is stuck by sin, that can't break free from our lack of forgiveness from our own guilt that can't even begin to do the things that we want to do, but also we have no peace and no hope and no, you know, we don't experience love in the same way. And then he says there's this other sphere and it's the sphere of Christ, in Christ. That's how he describes it. And this is eternal life and it's, it's forgiveness of sin and it's hope and it's joy and it's unity and it's love and it's being part of the family of God and recognizing, we've saying this a lot today, that we can have victory, that we do have victory. And so eternal life is not this, this thing that we get to have someday, it's this thing that we enter into as soon as we come to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. It's a new beginning, and it's not a new beginning once you die. It's a new beginning now. It's a new beginning now. What John says, what the Bible says, is that the narrative of your life can be flipped, that you can start anew, that you can have a new beginning, that everything can be changed for you. Now, as I say that, you're still going to have a tragedy every seven years, I'm not saying that tragedy will go away, that you will be healthier and wealthier and everything will always go right for you because I would be a liar if I told you that. What I am saying is that somewhere deep inside of you, you can have a satisfaction that cannot be touched by the negative circumstances around you. And that is only because Jesus rose from the grave. We can have peace from our inner struggles and reconciliation with our enemies and forgiveness from our guilt and purpose that goes beyond our circumstances and even beyond our life and life that goes beyond death. And what I find fascinating here is that it says he saw and believed. It's actually a really important theme in the Gospel of John and uh, one that I think is important for all of us to recognize. Uh, In the Gospel of John, this isn't just about the overall picture of who Jesus is. But it's like, like, like miracles and things that Jesus does. The people, like some see and don't believe. Some see and do believe. Some don't see and don't believe, obviously. And then some don't see, but they believe in Jesus. There's kind of these four categories that the gospel of John presents as far as belief goes. We can see and believe or not believe. We can not see and believe or not believe. And in John 20, 29, we learn in other places actually that to, to not see and believe is actually the more blessed way. But I think, now you go, why? Like, why did he stop such a good sermon to tell me that? I think it's so important for us today because I think that we can see this in kind of four categories of, of how you'll respond to Jesus even now, 2,000 years after he walked the earth. Some will not believe whether they encounter God or not. I hope that that is not you, but some, man, God will give them the greatest signs and they will not thrust their life upon him and enter into the hope that is the the resurrection. Some, and maybe this will be you, will will, will never encounter God in any 
you know, profound, divine, supernatural way, but you'll choose to believe anyway, partly because of the evidence, partly because you recognize that there's no other hope. That's one of the options. Some will believe when they do encounter Jesus. You encounter Jesus, you have a moment. That's my story. I know that's some of your stories who sit here in front of me today. There was like a moment in your life where you're like, God just said something to you and you were like, I guess I'm believing now. And then I think some just believe, I kind of mentioned this, based on what we'll see next. Um, and I'll get to that, but here's, here's the hope of the Gospel of John, the Bible, me. Hope that everyone will come to believe. Whether it's because of a divine encounter, because it's, you have no other place to turn, and you're like, there's no other hope. I don't know of any other way to change the narrative of my life but this. Or whether it's because of what we'll talk about in a second. I hope you'll believe. Now, it says here that this guy believed. And then it says that they still, and this is the other part, they still did not understand that Jesus, I love this phrase, this is the phrase that got me as I was preparing for this sermon today, had to rise from the dead. Now, by scriptures, and this is the one of the ways I think that you could come to believe, by scriptures, he's talking about the biblical books that predate Jesus, the Old Testament, to say it in another way. These are the holy books for the Israelites, and these holy books predict not only that Jesus would die, but that Jesus would come back from the dead. Listen to Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, which follows what we call this section about the suffering servant, this section about how the Messiah, the king that the Israelites looked forward to, the one who would set things right for the Jews and for all people everywhere, or at least offer people that opportunity, how this one would suffer and die. And then we read in Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a fascinating thing. I mean, can you, can you just picture being a person who's read the Old Testament your whole life and you've read this and like, well, he dies, but then like he has a prolonged life? What an oxymoron. Like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that, like, how can you put those two things together? And the answer is the resurrection. I think it's important that you recognize that we believe as Christians, not that Jesus rose from the dead just because these guys who witnessed it said it, although I think that's incredible evidence, but because it was prophesied about, and there was no way to make these things come true if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and that's part of the reason he had to, but I think it goes beyond that, that little phrase, he had to. Have you ever like seen somebody that does something heroic? They're like, how did you get the courage? Like, how did you, you know, what made, what possessed you to jump into the water and fight off the sharks? And they just say like this little line, like, I did what I had to do. I did what I had to do. And I think that that's what's meant here. When it says that Jesus had to rise from the dead, 
doesn't mean that Jesus was morally obligated to come down from heaven and do all the work he did on our behalf. It doesn't mean that we earned it or we deserved the work that he did for us. It means that he had to in order for the story of our lives to be rewritten. I want to make all of that story incredibly clear. What we want you to believe, what I want you to believe, what this writer, this friend of Jesus who witnessed these things happen wants you to believe is that your, your life is like one of these movies because you are a sinner. I know we don't like that. We want to push it off on somebody else. My parents were bad. Uh, the Christians I knew when I was a kid were bad. Uh, society's bad. But the reality is we've messed up our own movie. I mean, we've made decisions. I think we all know this. We've made decisions that are wrong, bad, no good. And what the Bible tells us, what John tells us, what I'm telling you is that, that what we did, in fact, and we may not recognize this, but we actually rejected the will of God. And every person, you, me, everybody, we've all done this. God has a standard. We have not lived up to that standard. God has a command. We disobey that command. And so, so we deserve. I think we all know this. I feel like I don't even have to talk to you in this, but we all deserve not like the tragedy that you experience, but we all deserve the messed up life that we have. And so God looked down. He looked down from heaven and he saw, wow, this is going to be a bad movie with a sad ending. He says, is there a way to fix it? Well, here's what I have to do. I have to go down there. And so God came down. He was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. We call him Jesus. We celebrate it at Christmas. He came, he was born, he was laid in a manger. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He didn't do anything to mess up the story. But then, at the end of that life, people like you and me, we create the sad ending, right? I mean, they said this man is a challenge to me and what I want and who I'm, what I'm about and the way that we've always done things. And so they arrest him, they try him and they condemn him and they beat him and they torture him and they place a crown of thorns on his head and they bow at his feet and mocking him. And the crowds pass by and they mock him some more and then and they nail him to a cross through his wrists and through his ankles, and they hang him on that cross. And that's all terrible. But that's not even what he was suffering. I mean, he did suffer that, but that's not all that he was suffering. Because what the Bible tells us is that as he hung on that cross, all of our sins were nailed upon that cross in his body. That what he suffered there was not just this excruciating physical death, but it was the punishment of hell. It was the finality, if you will, of all of our sins, the way that we've messed it all up. He paid the punishment for all of that. And then he was buried. And Peter and Mary and this other unnamed disciple and the rest of his friends and followers thought, wow, well, at least I had that good moment, but it sure seems over now. But he had to come back. And he did come back to life because when he came back to life, it meant 
that the sad ending wasn't the ending at all. It was just a speed bump to the final story, a story that allows for us to have victory if we'll believe in it. And when he came back from the dead, he conquered sin, it tells us. He conquered death so that we could be resurrected someday like him after we breathe our final breath on this earth. And when he came back to life, he, he was able to allow us access to God, a relationship with God where we could be brought into the family of God, we could come into the presence of God, and we could live eternity in that presence. And so when it says he had to, it doesn't mean he had to because he was up there like, well, I guess I have no choice in the matter. He had to so that you and me could be saved. And if we will believe that story, then we will be saved, and it will completely change the narrative of our lives. The story kind of ends anticlimactically. It says the disciples went back to where they were staying. That's not how I would have ended that, but the disciples went back to where they were staying. And the reality for all of us today is we can have an anticlimactic ending to this story in our lives. If we just go home and we don't choose to believe, or we don't choose to take hope in the resurrection like we used to, I'll talk about that in a second, then we'll go home today and Easter, this Easter, will just be such a dud. <laughs> like, well, that was cool. It'll be like Peter. That was really fun while it lasted, but it has no lasting effect on my life. But if you will choose to believe, Peter doesn't at this moment, he just goes home because he was astonished, that's great, that's cool. But the other disciple, his life is changed forever. Let me tell you about something I've been doing recently. I've been doing this podcast that I'm calling Testimony, and basically I just, I just record people's testimonies and then try to share those stories with whoever will listen. It's been really fun to do, and, and one of the reasons it's been fun to do uh, is simply that I'm starting to see this incredible trend in people's lives. It always goes like this, and this is a quote from one of them, I, I, a loose quote. I realized that if it, there wasn't anything more to life, then life wasn't very good. Now this person, his name's Grayson Boucher, and he better known uh, as the professor. He's an international streetball basketball player. He's uh, just hit a billion views on YouTube. He's Spider-Man basketball, or more recently, Looney Tunes basketball on YouTube. If you don't know who I mean, ask a 14-year-old, um, and they'll know exactly who you mean. And I looked at this guy who I watched rise to stardom, nine seasons on a television show, making good money, really cool, living a life I would have loved to have lived. And he says to me as I interviewed him, I just would like do this thing. I think he said it like this. I would, we would entertain a few folks. We'd go out to a party. And I'd go home and think, is this really all there is? And it took a death of his best friend for him and a sermon at that funeral for him to say, oh wait, this isn't all there is. There's something so much better in his name is Jesus. 
Maybe some of you feel that. I think all of you feel that if you're not Christians. Maybe you've never admitted it. Maybe you've taken no time to reflect on it. Maybe that's why you always have music on and the TV in the background and a podcast on your phone and like because you don't want to think about how how you don't like what you have and how it feels like if this is it, then it isn't very good. But if you've recognized that, then I would tell you to follow Grayson's lead and become a Christian. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and he rose again. I hope you'll believe. Now listen, I'm not done, because some of you are here today. You've been Christians for a long time. The story of your life has been changed. And what I would just ask you to do on this Easter is to remember that moment when everything changed because you came to believe that Jesus died and rose again, that he had to to save you until you committed your life to him. I told you I'm living with my parents and provided a unique opportunity just yesterday. And I didn't do this for my sermon, I promise, but uh, I have no space to pray anywhere because there's people everywhere and, uh, and a dog barking most of the time. And so I just went out and I needed to do a little work and I wanted to pray. And I was driving down River Road in Kaiser and and uh, and I realize I'm going. Like, I don't know where I'm going, really. Like, just, you know, maybe find a coffee shop or whatever. And I realize I'm coming down, and I, I think, Sunset Park. I guess I should go down there to pray, because I was there the day my life changed. So I drove, I drove down to this park called Sunset Park. It, you can, it's like in a neighborhood, and it's like they forgot to develop a house there, and so you can go to the Willamette River and, and look out. And it reminded me, there was a day when I was 17 years old, when I went out there and had a conversation with another person, not with God. And many of you heard me talk about this, but I, I just, I felt I needed to confess some things to that person. I did. And it was fine, no big deal. I even took a picture of the bench yesterday, but we don't have it for you. But I just sat there, no big deal. I went home that night. And the resurrected Jesus whispered in my ear in whatever way he did. He said, you didn't need to confess to them. You need to confess to me. And I sobbed for hours, actually. And I'll tell you, as I sat there yesterday, living with parents and all, like that changed the narrative of my life. That day, changed the entire narrative of my life. I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be. I would be an awful dad. I can tell you that. I don't think my marriage would have lasted. I'm not that great of a husband anyway. And uh, I just don't think, I mean, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) I can tell you that. I wouldn't have had the fulfillment or the joy, the laughter that I've had in the last 21 years since that moment. And I know that some of you have come in here today and the narrative of your life sucks. And maybe it sucks because you've never become a Christian. You've never believed that Jesus rose again for your sins. Or maybe it sucks because at some point you did, but you've forgotten all about it and you've been living like it's not true at all. You know what I mean. And I would say today to return, return to that place where you believe. And you allow that belief to give you inner peace from your struggles and reconciliation from your enemies and forgiveness for your guilt 
and purpose that goes beyond the circumstances and beyond your life and life that goes beyond your death. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, whatever your story arc looks like, it doesn't have to stay the same. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and he can flip the script. I want you to bow your heads for a second, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to, to raise your hands here. We don't do this all the time at our church. We do do it every Easter, though. And I know as I look out that some of you, online here just may never have come to a place of belief and maybe you can maybe you can hear god just whispering in your ear even like me that day 21 years ago like hey you need to confess to me and i i'm going to ask you just a second if you're right now want to just become a christian if you want to believe to raise your hand don't do it yet but then there's others here that are christians i know you and and you have have lived as though the resurrection is not true. And I think Jesus wants to change the narrative of your life moving forward from this point on. And if you will, like right now in this moment, choose to do that, I'd also ask you to raise your hand. And so I'm going to ask you to do that right now. If you're in one of those two categories, please put your hand up. I'm going to let it hang for just a minute more. I see those hands. I see you. Don't be shy. It doesn't matter if anybody looks. Okay, put those hands down. Thank you. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for changing my life and, and for also giving me life that goes beyond this one. I thank you for those hands that went up just this uh, minute, God, just a second ago. And, and whether people choosing to believe for the first time or people, God, remembering that they do believe or did believe or whatever it might be. And I pray, God, that in this moment you would, you would, you would just come into them in a new and unique way and fill them with all of the hope and all of the joy and all of the purpose and all of the forgiveness and all of the love and all of the belonging, God, that, that you had to die and rise again to give them, Lord. I pray, Lord, and I just ask that, God, we would be a people who, who just thrust ourselves upon you because there is, no other, there is no other way to have these things, Lord, to have um, the things that I've mentioned so many times in this sermon. So let us be a people, God, whether we've been Christians forever or just became one that, that just, just believes and believes fully and wholly and always, Lord. I thank you, God, for the lives that you've changed in this moment. Uh, and I pray, God, that I, you would be worshipped as we finish this service. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.